1: Thanksgiving proved to be quite the feast for the Gators, as they went to Tallahassee and earned their first win over the Seminoles since 2012 in dominant fashion. That put a resounding bow in a 9-3 regular season and has the Gators awaiting a likely trip to a New Year's Six Bowl. But in college sports, one season ending usually means another is just beginning, which is the case for the Florida men's basketball squad. On today's show, we'll get the lowdown on this year's Rowdy Reptiles and their early returns from head coach Mike White. Then, we'll take a macro look back at the 2018 football season, including the plays of the year the players expected to leave early and what it means for the future with FloridaGators.com's senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But first, it's been an up-and-down start to the season for Gator basketball, with a difficult schedule leading to some tough results. But there have also been some impressive flashes from a talented group, including in a bounce-back blowout over UNF on Tuesday. With some marquee games on the horizon next week, We spoke with Coach White and began by getting his impressions on a ship riding win over the Ospreys. I was most encouraged about our
2: performance against North Florida by how hard we played. Uh, how unselfish we were offensively, the intensity that we brought uh, defensively, especially from our young guys, probably led by Nemhard and, and Locke. And um, Kavaris Hayes, of course, you know, he's going to bring it every game. DeAndre Ballard being another young guy that played with tremendous energy and enthusiasm. And Kayvon Allen, too, I, I thought uh, really came with a, a defensive presence and, and got going with some energy offensively.
1: You guys have obviously played a pretty tough schedule so far, especially opening at FSU and then the, the teams that you played in the Bahamas. What do you feel like you've learned about this team so far? And has anything surprised you about that? You know, a couple surprises,
2: positively and negatively. Negatively, I guess that the, the fact that um, we're, we're being led from an intensity and intangible standpoint by some of our younger guys, which is a little bit disappointing, but at the same time, it's encouraging for, for the future and, and for those guys. I've been surprised at uh, a lack of offensive uh, production. Uh, that's the negative. But I've also a pleasant surprise is, is the level at which we're defending as a team, uh, especially with certain lineups out there. So we've got to find a way to get our, our veteran scores going a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, they've got to continue to fight to earn minutes uh, by playing as hard as the young guys and being as consistent defensively and on the glass as our young guys Uh, And then our young guys, uh, at the same time, need to continue to clean up some of their uh, mistakes offensively and defensively. So we're a work in progress, of course. A bunch of good guys that get along for the most part. Our selflessness has increased over the, the course of the last seven games, for sure. The ball's moving. We're sharing it more effectively. And we're definitely playing harder than we were a month ago.
1: I want to talk about the the two seniors you mentioned there, Kayvon Allen, Jalen Hudson. Uh, they obviously haven't gotten off to the starts that they were hoping for, and, and that you guys were hoping for. But yet, their talent is obvious. Everybody knows what they can accomplish and what they're capable of. What do you and your staff believe are kind of the keys to unlocking each of them to be their best, or is that an, an unknown factor?
2: No, you know, I think with Kayvon, it's uh, it's being aggressive consistently, whether it's going in or not, and. Being unselfish to uh, to to a point where it, I, I guess having a happy medium of unselfishness. Sometimes he becomes so unselfish that it's that I challenge him that it's selfishness uh, <laughs> because uh, because his teammates and 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 his staff need to see him you know for the success of this team to be aggressive, really aggressive offensively. He should be our most aggressive guy offensively. Um, he and Jalen, of course, when Jalen's in the game, and then Jalen's uh, issue right now is, um, and I thought he was a little bit better, um, you know, in these last couple games. And Cavon was for sure from an intensity standpoint, which includes, which is most included, I guess, in our defensive possessions. That's where Jalen is. That's where he's got to lead his mark, you know, on 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 the game, and that's where he's got to lead at least by example by playing as hard as as some of these freshman sophomores are playing um and he'll earn more minutes and you know there there's a standard here there's a culture here that we're trying to uphold um and he's you know he's an awesome kid he's uh he says all the right things and as he earns more minutes um, there's no doubt in my mind that you know he'll get into an offensive rhythm he's too talented not to. You know,
1: Playing down in the Bahamas, we mentioned a moment ago, but it's so unique in that you're playing three games in three days. The only thing that's similar to that is if you make a strong run at an SEC tournament or something like that. What does that do for you mentally and physically in terms of the challenge that it provides and how that pushes you forward?
2: Well, I think it gives you a little bit of prep if you're, you know, if you have an ability to uh, to make a run, you know, in a conference tournament. Um, I think that another couple opportunities that it presents are for quality wins, of course, a quick turn in scouting, um, where you don't have a lot of time to prepare, so you can kind of have a balance of, of focusing on on yourselves, on your culture, on your locker room, on your player development at the same time, kind of having a, an abbreviated. Uh, scattering a port on on the next opponent and then lastly of course you get an opportunity to be away from the norm as a team and um be in a different country uh or being at least outside of Gainesville um where you get you have opportunities to spend time with one another uh, more so than uh you know playing a, a single road game or, or, or definitely a home game
1: when you talk about trying to get through the early part of this year and, and find yourselves, it seems like certainly the, the impact of a guy like Chris Chioza is felt. It's never easy to lose people who are so, so important for a four-year career like he was. Can you talk about the ways that that's been felt so far and, and how you think you, you deal with an absence like that as you move forward? Yeah, you know, it's it's been
2: tough. Andrew Nemhardt's done a terrific job. Um He's been as consistent a player as, as anyone on this team, uh, probably our most accountable defender at this point. He's got a 5-to-1 assist turnover ratio. He's having a great freshman year. Um, but we lost not only Chris Joseph but Igor Kulichov from last year's team. We lost two really good players. I would argue that Igor was just as valuable uh, as, as Chris to last year's team. We're seeing that now with you know, as we go back and watch game film from last year as we're trying to prepare for some of these duplicate opponents uh, Igor was our most physical guy, uh, as consistent as anybody, energy, motor, toughness, and then brought that offensive swagger, uh, that shot-making ability where he and his teammates thought that everyone that he shot was going in and he was hunting for it and he had the ability to take and make big shots. And then Chris, of course, was, was big play Chris as well. I mean, he, he uh, single-handedly won us some games. He was the epitome of swagger and confidence and you know, had a, had a tremendous career. So those intangibles that those guys brought us we miss
1: as much as their production to say the least how do you replace those intangibles do do individuals just have to grow into them when they realize that there there's a void there how do you how do you coach that
2: it's a little bit harder to come up with uh, as opposed to let's run this play offensively or let's play this defense or let's switch to that defense you know your 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 locker room your hierarchy your rotation um your your leadership uh, who feeds off of who, all those type factors uh, that that play into winning and losing are a little bit more difficult to find answers to. And, uh, you, you know, there's talk about pushing buttons and you find buttons. And if this button doesn't work, let's try this button. And trial and error is, is always a factor. Um, but it, these guys are c- continuously being challenged by myself and, and our staff to lead, you know, to find leaders on this team, to find guys that are, Uh, willing to step up and take ownership, um, to be more accountable, to lead by example, but also to lead vocally, to have pride in everything that we do. So we're trying to develop leaders, um, and at the same time, we're uh, evaluating uh, which one of these guys or which few of these guys, best-case scenario, have an ability to do that for us.
1: In terms of your returners, because I know a lot of times you look to those guys to fill that void because they know what was there and what's missing. They can feel it probably the best. Who do you feel like you've seen the most improvement from dating back to last season to now?
2: I think there's no question from a returner standpoint, it's DeAndre Ballard, um, seven games in. And before our first game, I definitely wouldn't, would not have been saying that. He, he had a couple, uh, weeks there in practice before we opened up where, uh, he was, I, I wondered how much he'd play. Um, hmm. uh, but you, you talk about intangibles and, and you talk about, uh, showing up under the bright lights and that's something that he brings this team. That's his gift. Um, the stage is not too big for him and he's been um, terrific for us to this point. Uh, leading us in scoring. He plays as hard as anybody on the team. He's very, very competitive every day in practice. He likes basketball, uh, which we obviously value. You, know, you <laughs> want guys out there that just really love the game. It, it hurts him to lose in drills um, you know, believe it or not, that's something that this team, uh, you know, a bunch of guys on this team, you, you wish we could get to be more competitive. And I know every coach probably feels the same way, but our competitive spirit is, is pretty average, uh, but he increases it. So he's uh, he's been a pleasant surprise and we value a lot of what he's bringing to the equation right now.
1: In terms of the newcomers, you mentioned Andrew Nemhard, but also Keontae Johnson, Noah Locke. Uh, can you just talk about those, that trio of freshmen, and what you've seen from them, that the potential that they have for you?
2: Yeah, we're very pleased with all three of these guys. Um, a couple of them are starting. Keontae's a guy that'll always, I think, uh, fight to be in in that um, in that five at least this year. Uh, I, I would think. You know, he's uh, he's pushing a couple other guys. Um, and who knows he, even when he's not starting, he may play some starters minutes. It all just depends on how he continues to develop and the motor at which he plays with those other two freshman guards. Uh, Nemhard and Locke are, um, probably our, our two most consistent defenders with I'll probably group them with Hayes right now, uh, playing really hard, making good decisions. They bring it every day in practice really pleased with this class it's it's three guys with with character with talent uh with a little bit of toughness they think they're good they know they're good uh they're winners um all three of them have won a bunch in their um, in their high school and AU careers so uh excited about the future of these of these three guys as long as they continue to have humility um and work and
1: have um and be culture guys have have this thing be about uh, we as opposed to me You've got a a couple of marquee games coming up against West Virginia and Michigan State. Can you just talk about the significance of those matchups and the opportunity that they give you on a national stage as well?
2: Yeah, at at the University of Florida, we're going to have a top five or ten schedule every year. I knew that when I was uh, afforded the opportunity to take this job, and I've said it a bunch since. We use it in recruiting. Um, our players know it. Uh, it's, it's what they want. It's what our fans want and deserve. So, you know, playing national names, whether it be at home, on the road, uh, neutral sites, uh, such as Madison Square Garden, you know, and, and such a prestigious, prestigious event uh, as we're playing in. Uh, all those things are really neat for, um, for the Gator brand, for this particular team, for our program it provides great opportunity for development. Uh, and hopefully, uh, if we can win enough games for uh, some postseason opportunities as well.
1: Do you worry at all about taking the uh, the freshman into MSG for the first time? I know you've done it. Multi- it seems yeah. like every year you guys are going to MSG. But does that still carry the, the kind of weight that, that people think it does? Oh, I think so. Yeah, Our guys are excited. Everybody will be locked
2: in, you know, a, a college basketball game, a big neutral site matchup in Madison Square Garden. People tune into that. And whether whether we've got senior guards or freshman guards, it, it doesn't matter. Heck, I'm fearful either way. You know, I'm fearful of us <laughs> playing well in practice today. I'm fearful of us playing North Florida at home, you know, West Virginia, New York City. It's 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 the same thing. You know, it's uh, obviously a, a, a better team, a high level opponent, but it's an opportunity to get better opportunity to uh, to advance to progress uh, to win you want those great opportunities and you want the challenges of playing some great teams
1: Final thing for you I know it's just a short business trip to New York but if you did have some extra time what would be on the agenda for the big Apple
2: oh wow it's funny you ask I, I know nothing about New York City I' been <laughs> there I bet I've been there 20 times for basketball trips games recruiting, and I, my wife and I always joke about the fact that one summer we'd like to go up there for a weekend and actually see the city. I've been there 20 <laughs> times, but I haven't seen it. So I, I wouldn't know the first thing to tell you. Probably try to go get a really good uh, local slice of pizza somewhere. That's
1: good. Sir. So no no Hamilton for you? No idea what that means. <laughs> well, Coach, uh, we hope you do get up there at some point in the summer. But for now, we hope it's a good and successful trip this weekend. And we uh, we thank you so much for your time, as always. Thanks, Adam. Go Gators. A series of streaks were snapped when the clock hit zeros at Doak Campbell Stadium on Saturday, and which one mattered most is debatable depending on your perspective. But one thing was clear. This was the emphatic way the Gators needed to close the book on their first regular season under Dan Mullen. In a wide-ranging chat about the campaign on the whole and some critical superlatives, we began our chat with Scott and Chris by getting their view on the significance of the win over Florida State. Well, uh, much needed, obviously, Adam.
3: I think it was more important than winning any bowl game that they'll play, in even a New Year's Six Bowl. I just felt that, you know, you, as good as Dan Mullen's first season has been, there would still be kind of a little asterisk there if they lost to Florida State for the sixth consecutive year. And it was just, I thought, their most complete performance of the year. Uh, the offense looked good. The defense looked good. Felipe Franks had a really good game. Uh, Jakai Polite on the defensive front dominated the running game, got going and you saw Florida, I think, maximize everything that they've done under Mullum in year one. They just played smart, played within their scheme and their talent. And, you know, they were clearly the better team. And, and obviously when you beat Florida State and you haven't done it in a while, you do it on the road. That carries a significant. Off-season momentum which is something that is important for the program as they try to you know to continue to build off mullen's first year and uh to be able to you know snap florida state's full streak their consecutive winning streak to get that five game losing streak off their back that was a lot of uh, bonus points just for one victory that the gators uh you know they missed out on in recent years and the it was good timing, uh, you know, with Dan Mullen's first year regular
0: season complete. And now it looks like, you know, they will be headed to a New Year's Six Bowl. This is a tough and fickle fan base. And uh, regardless of what it would have happened, say, uh, with an 8-4 and four season, if you don't beat Florida State, like Scott says, you got a bunch of fans picking at the season regardless of where this team was last year regardless of where it would have left Tallahassee, even if it had lost. Now, granted, this is not that was not a good Florida State team, and that's an understatement. But, uh, yeah, you had to win that game. What probably carried into the game, what probably had a lot to do with the Gators uh, going into the game and being prepared that's for that sure. game, when they asked Dan Mullen what a win over a Florida State team with nobody on the team that had ever beaten FSU, what it would mean to the locker room. And he said, oh, it would mean a lot. He goes, I've never lost to him." <laughs> I thought that was... I thought that was a very calculated, if not a Spurrier-like kind of thing. Now Spurrier, of course, could never say anything like that because his record against Florida State wasn't very good at all, mm-hmm. and he never won at uh up in Tallahassee.
1: That is amazing to me. As much as Spurrier accomplished, that stat still blows my mind, doesn't it?
0: That's right. That's right. And I believe the number—I think he was five-eight and one against against uh Bobby Bowden, I think. Hmm. But having said all that, I mean, like just like Scott said, I mean, you got to have to win that game It puts a cap uh uh, if you want a garnet and gold exclamation point on the season and um to do it in such lopsided fashion to do it in uh basically totality across the board all phases there's a lot of positive things to talk about in december and to think that uh eh, signing day is what three weeks away scott yeah pretty good timing on the part of the florida program
1: And not only that, but to do it by 41-14, which is one of the, the famous scores in Gator history, the score of the national championship game in 2006 against Ohio State, which of course, Dan Mullen was the offensive coordinator. There's, there's symmetry everywhere you look. Things connect to the past. You're bringing back to the future. And, And on that topic, I want to talk about Dan Mullen because Scott, I know you wrote a column earlier this week that was all about how a year ago, Scott Strickland made the call that changed the course of Florida football. And now Dan Mullen is making all the right calls to ultimately get this program where it needs to go. There were a good number of people. There were media types. There were certainly fans that were skeptical of this hire a year ago. They wanted Chip Kelly. They wanted Scott Frost. You look at where both of those guys are now. They had really, really bad years, which isn't to say that they won't get things turned around. But Dan Mullen came in and immediately took a four and seven team and has them on their way very likely to a New Year's six bowl. I'm curious as you guys look at the, the totality of this season, What do you think led to this success for Mullen that made him the right choice for the program?
3: Well, first, Adam, I mean, Dan Mullen's an excellent coach. I think he's proven that with just what he's done with the roster that's very similar to last year with a team that has the same starting quarterback, a lot of familiar pieces on offense, same offensive line pretty much. some young players on defense, but overall a unit that has a lot of veteran faces that were on it was on a four and seven team last year. And like I said, I think I've always measured a coach whether or not he's worth his reputation and if he can maximize whatever roster he has and I think that's exactly what Dan Mullen has done he's brought his system in tweaked it to fit the players rather than vice versa and improved five wins which is the second biggest jump in program history from one season to the next that says a lot about Dan Mullen and when he got here there was that familiar ready factor with Florida fans we've talked about it here Sometimes the outsiders are maybe the sexier choice. You mentioned Chip Kelly, Scott Frost. I mean, just from personal opinion, I always thought Dan Mullen, even before the hire happened, he just seemed like a great fit because you knew he was an offensive coach. You knew he had been at Florida. And to go to Mississippi State and stay nine years and do what they did out there, uh, that says a lot about him because a lot of coaches have gone there and failed. And Mullen went there and won. Had that team number one in the nation at one point, that speaks volumes to me about uh what he can do and what he has done in his career. And I think Florida and their fans, you know, we saw it firsthand this year, just taking a team that at the start of the year, I didn't know if they were going to go five and seven or seven and five.
0: I, I, to me, nine and three is a huge step for the program and a huge win for Dan Mullen in year one. Just to put some numerical context to the point Scott was making, and like you said, I mean, you look across the roster and the personnel, it is the same quarterback. It's virtually the same offensive line. Uh, in terms of skill position, you throw in Jordan Scarlett and you throw in the two transfer wide receivers. That's almost identical two years ago. Okay, last year, 109th in, in the nation out of 129 teams, 13th in the SEC. This year, total offense, 48th and 7th. Last year, scoring, 108th and 13th. 31st and 5th this year, rushing the ball last year, 75th this year, 26th. So trending upward. All right. Passing offense, 101st to 77th. And a lot of that is just, you know, Felipe Franks got better as the year went on. So I expect that number to uh, improve. You know, you look at the sacks last year, 37 sacks. There's 15 sacks this year. So you look at where this team was uh, after the Missouri game and how they answered i think mullen made a a a point about how they let the georgia game beat them twice i think he's used that quote a couple times it was there was some hangover from that game going into missouri because of the Mm long-term ramifications what it meant in the big picture in terms of the sec east and maybe national championship picture and and this team let's face it this this team wasn't good enough to be in the in the college football playoff and that's fine but they refocused their goals and rewrited the ship and uh You know, you go into Tallahassee and do what they did the other day. Florida State has had way, way better recruiting classes the last few years. You go, what, who are the five star players, Scott, on this team? Martez Ivy, CC Jefferson. How many more are there? Mm, Those are only two to my knowledge. Okay. So how many think of Florida State? I'm talking at least a dozen, maybe 15 the last Mm -hmm. few years when they've had those top three and five recruiting classes in the country. Well, for my money, you can have five-star players. I'd rather have a five-star coach who coaches three- and four-star players to five-star talent uh, during their time at the school. So uh, home run hire, obviously. I saw uh, who's been a better hire in the Southeastern Conference to date? I mean, this year. I mean, what was there, five coaching changes in the league last year? Uh, what Scott Strickland did and going back to his alma mater and plucking uh, Dan Mullen out of there. We know what Dan Mullen did there. Completely revamped the culture of Mississippi State. He's going to do it here. The only thing really he he has left to do is to turn the passing game into something that's truly, truly lethal. And I think when he gets his so-called soldiers in there and implements his plan, he's gonna be able to do that.
1: Really good context there, and no question about that. And you know, a season that's as successful as this one has been is a, a collection of plays that lead to those numbers. But right now over on Florigators.com there's a poll going on that's asking fans to vote for what they think is the play of the year. And there's a variety of candidates from the fake punt against Vanderbilt to the pick six by Brad Stewart against LSU. There's a lot of different kinds of plays, defensive, offensive, you name it. I'm curious for you guys. I I love being able to get you guys on different pages because you always have the same answers. I'm hoping in this case, you guys both have a different take on play of the year for Florida football.
3: Yeah, I'll go with the double tap pass, you know, from Felipe to Kadarius Tony to Morrill Stevens at Mississippi State for the go-ahead score. You know, coming off the win at Tennessee, that was a big first step on the road to Florida. But there was so much uh, hype and just off-the-field storylines for the Gators when they went up to the road to Mississippi State with Mullen's first time back there. Uh, obviously, it was an emotional game for him and his family. But that was a statement game, in my eyes. When you look at this season, that kind of showed me what the potential was and what it ended up being. When they went out and beat Mississippi State, which was ranked at the time 4-3, uh, I think maybe it was 25th at the time. They were ranked lower than Mississippi State. But that play, that was such a gutsy call at that moment. They executed perfection, and the defense did the rest. And that was also, I thought, one of the coaching staff's best performance of the year. I mean, they neutralized Nick Fitchfield. They really knew what Mississippi State wanted to do, and they took them totally out of their game plan in the second half. And Mississippi State, with one of the best defenses in the country I mean you had to work some magic against them and and that's when we saw Mullen dip into his uh, bag of tricks at the perfect time which he showed an that for all season and like like I said I think the reason that one stands out to me is because that flashed. wow this season might be better than we expect if they can get out of here with the
1: win and that play was crucial in that victory. And to Scott's point, Mississippi State only allowed five passing touchdowns the entire season. So it took something special to be able to get that ball in the end zone. And obviously, Florida was able to pull that off. And you see the importance because they didn't give up a lot this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to piggyback on what he said, that that was a huge... That game was was about toughness. And I just remember the celebration that... uh, if you I mean, people saw the uh, locker room video celebration after that game. If you weren't there, you couldn't appreciate how big that... That game was and and how how big that win was at the time because I think that kind of sent a message to his team you know it doesn't matter how many points we win by you know that at that point that that was all about toughness going on a road and all the circumstances and and Mullen did a good job of avoiding making that game about himself uh, even though everybody knew it was and he flipped it around about how great a team win was so uh that's a great call by Scott and i and, I'll, I'll reference a play that you, of course, that, that is on the, the poll. The Brad Stewart pick six, because I think at that moment, that was as good a swamp moment as we've had in a long time. I mean, you can go back to Antonio Callaway and in, in Tennessee and maybe a couple of plays in that old miss game in 2015. Those are, that, that, those are fantastic moments also, but that was the biggest play in the swamp this year. I think that maybe if Florida can piggyback this momentum and, and come up big in a bowl game and be victorious there and cap the year with 10 wins, I think what we saw that that moment in the Swamp when Brad Stewart finished that game off with that 27-19 20, to uh, 19 win, I think that could be a kind of harbinger and a preview for what the Swamp could be next year, the momentum heading into the season that the Gators can come in with 10 wins and really get people excited about what will happen next year. I, th- I think that's where this is headed. Maybe they can go there without a 10th win and anything, but with the schedule that they're playing at home next year and the anticipation and what Mullen has proven he can do, I think the electricity in the swamp that night capped by that play by Brad Stewart was the highlight of the season.
1: It's hard to go wrong in this category. I- I'm going to say, though, for my money, it seems crazy, maybe the least impressive of all of those in terms of the, the flashiness. The fake punt against Vanderbilt, I don't think Florida wins that game without that fake punt working, which changed the whole momentum. And if Florida doesn't win that game, then I think we're having a very different conversation now in terms of where the rest of the season goes. That probably gets overlooked as far as how significant it was, but I I think it's critically important to what Florida accomplished this season.
3: Tommy Townsend would certainly agree with you. (laughs)
1: And and that kind of goes to this question. We talked mid-season about some superlatives, right? We had an MVP, offensive, defensive. I don't think any of those changed. The one thing we didn't address that I think is relevant, who is your most unsung hero? Who's a guy that doesn't get talked about that you think has been extremely critical to Florida's success this year?
3: You know, it's not going to be a flashy pick, but I think in retrospect, I didn't see it coming, and I think he's proven that he's a good player, is the starting center, Nick Buchanan. This was a guy that was down the depth chart at the start of the year, was a non factor last year with, uh, you know, TJ McCoy uh, taking that role, Tyler Jordan taking that role. I think they had an injury, and I I think they started three different guys. Nick Buchanan surprised a lot of people by winning that job. And other than a game, uh, I think Idaho, when he missed because of injury, you haven't really heard much about him. And guess what? That's a great thing for your starting center. That means he's doing his job. Uh, he hasn't had bad snaps. Uh, Felipe Franks hasn't had any issues. And again, it's not a, a, a guy we think about a lot, but that says a lot when the guy can have a come out of nowhere sort of earn a starting job that people didn't see coming. And then be a non-factor as far as, uh, you know, bad media coverage or or, uh, talk radio criticizing the guy. Because offensive linemen, they get criticized a lot. They don't get complimented a lot. And I think a a great way uh, to really look at that is he must have done his job very well.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take a guy who wasn't even on scholarship before the season started. I'll take R.J. Raymond, the tight end. Hmm. The guy was awarded a scholarship in the in the preseason for his fit, uh, you know, redshirt senior season. I, I mean, I I think he became one of the leaders of this team. I think he was one of the guys who, after the Missouri game, stood up and said, you know, some stuff had to change, or was someone who said some stuff in the locker room after that game. And I mean, think about this: this is a guy who wasn't on scholarship, and now yeah. he's a walk-on, and he's like commanding the respect and commanding the locker room, and. Think about the year for this guy to go in the season like that. Let's let's talk about that position also. The tight end position, no one even talked about it when Jim McElwain was here, but between (laughs) Cianti Lewis, Lucas Kroll, Moral Stevens. So so the the tight end position kind of came alive, but right in the mix of that, and he didn't care if he caught a pass or not, was R.J. Raymond, who took on a a voice in that locker room. And I think that's something when it comes to – there's always points in the season where you're at a crossroads – and obviously that game after Missouri was part of it. And his voice was, was, was clearly, uh, one that needed to be heard at a time when, uh, maybe things could have gone in a little bit different direction. And clearly the team didn't give, give up when they were down, uh, by 18 points to South Carolina in the second half of that game. So, uh, credit to him and credit to the, to the guys that have bought into the things he said. So, uh, RJ Raymond, kudos. Yeah. Follow up on that. They were, you
3: know, they were three and zero after. He made that speech against uh, Missouri. And if you noticed against Florida State, the captains that game, R.J. Raymond, was one of the two guys out there. And uh, if you saw any of the video from prior to the game, he was also the guy leading the pep rally to get the players focused on the field. So uh, that's a good
1: call. Inevitably, at this time of year, you start to hear about guys leaving. Uh, and certainly there's seniors you expect to lose. And then, you know, there's going to be some attrition from juniors who are leaving early. And the, the first one of those came through this week, uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, really nice statement he put out talking about how much his time at Florida meant and the reasons why he's ready to move on to the next level. Um, Scott, I know you, you had posted the story about that. Can you just talk about Chauncey and, and what he had to say and, and kind of what else we anticipate in terms of other guys who may be heading to the next level?
3: Yeah, Chauncey, obviously, this has been on his mind for a while. You know, He's got a girlfriend uh, that he's close with, obviously a young child on the way. Uh, he's put in three years. He had his best season this year. Uh, you look at him as a potential NFL uh, safety. I think a lot of uh, mock drafts I've seen early list him probably as the third safety prospect available in the draft. What that means as far as round, I'm guessing – you know, his third or fourth round, somewhere like that. But Chauncey Gardner is an NFL type player. He's got the body. He's a physical player, athletic, very versatile. You know, pl- played nickel back mostly at Florida, but he can also play corner. And obviously, as I mentioned, he's projected as a safety in the NFL. But this was a guy who, you know, he had a little bit of that edge to him that Florida needed, I think, mm-hmm. this year. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm going to remember him for. But, You know he's also he's dynamic when he he's had seven career interceptions and on those seven interceptions, Adam, he's returned two for touchdowns. We saw the one against Idaho that set the tone, but he's averaged 31 yards on those interceptions. So when he gets the ball in his hands, he's dynamic. I still remember the uh, Outback Bowl his freshman season when he won the MVP with, with two picks against Iowa, one for a touchdown. And, uh, it's what made this a little unusual. He did it so early. You know, a lot of times these guys wait until after the bowl game, he, uh, he had this on his mind. He wanted to get it out yesterday. Uh, he's going to play in the bowl game. Uh, and then he's going to, you know, get ready for the draft. He won't be the only guy. I'm pretty certain from what I'm hearing, you're going to have a few more guys. I would, I would expect Jordan Scarlett to do the same. Kai Polite, obviously, uh, looking at a first-round pick there, probably. I think Jawan Taylor, the offensive lineman, ranked 12th on Todd McShay's prospect list. Wow. That's a first-rounder, so you know he's going to go. And then after that, uh, P Pirine, certainly, uh, maybe it will be a guy who will consider taking it to the next level. Van Jefferson, you know, he, he's at that point where he could. And otherwise though, I, I think you're going to have a few guys. I wouldn't be surprised in the end. We'll have probably four or five guys and Chauncey being the first, obviously.
1: So as you noted, a lot of those announcements are going to come after the bowl game. And now that the speculation is on, I mean, the fact that we're talking New Year's Six Bowl is pretty surprising given some of the expectations this year. Uh, but what are you guys looking at? What are you hearing? What can fans expect in a few days' time for where Florida's going to be headed?
3: The early buzz Adam has them probably going to the Peach Bowl Maybe a matchup against UCF, which I think would be very interesting. I think that would uh, give both programs a lot of incentive to win that game. Uh, for Florida, they talked about it after the FSU uh, when They were asked by a couple of reporters. Uh, I know David Reese and, the, and Van Jefferson were asked specifically while I was there about maybe playing UCF. and Both guys, they liked that idea. Uh, I think it would be a, a good matchup, especially if UCF still has their long winning streak. Unfortunately, the injury to Mackenzie Milton. Regardless of where they're where they play their bowl game, you know you hate to see uh, Mackenzie Milton get hurt the way he did against USF, and he's going to miss it. But still, yeah, anytime you can play a team in state, that would be a huge incentive for Florida. I think a, a good fan draw for the Peach Bowl up in Atlanta, because as we know, it's it's pretty good travel distance for most gator fans a lot of gator fans in atlanta and ucf played up there last year against auburn beat them and they had a lot of fans up there so i'm sure ucf would have a
0: lot of fans too so i think it'd be a great matchup i think a a, a sexy matchup and i think it is possible some things have to really work out would be uh florida could end up in the fiesta bowl against will mm-hmm. greer I, I saw a way that could happen there's some things have to it's convoluted and stuff but it could happen but if they can't play ucf which i think would be the best game for both those programs obviously because i don't see them playing each other in the regular season anytime soon but uh if the uh <laughs> if there had to be a second choice that'd be pretty fun to go out to uh to phoenix and watch florida play against west virginia in a game like that
1: well and another proposed peach bowl matchup i've seen is uh florida michigan which is uh you know, maybe more likely to, to happen than the, the Florida, West Virginia. And, uh, who is that that's on that Michigan sideline? That's right. It's, it's Jim McElwain, who, by the way, is now the rumors. You guys know how this goes. The rumors say he's yeah. being considered for Tennessee's offensive coordinator, which would again be even more interesting. The way the coaching carousel turns and the, the faces that pop back up at rivals, it's always, it, it never ceases to fascinate. That's for sure. We will find out Florida's bowl fate for sure on Sunday. Uh, And of course, we'll have a chance to talk about that next week. But right now, let's get to our PAT. Uh, I'm inspired by the LSU-Texas A&M game that seemingly went on forever to the point where you're know you watching a game like, I hope this keeps going because it's entertaining. That got to the point where it was like, I just want this to be over already. I know you guys have covered your fair share of events that fall in that category. So I'm curious which one for you is one that you remember as, oh, my gosh, I never thought that that game would end.
0: This sounds a little weird, Adam, but uh, in terms of stuff that involved me, when I was covering high school, the Florida High School uh, Activity Association passed a rule. Um, and it, it, was in the, it was in the, I want to say, 86 or 87 or something like that. There was a case where like six different districts in the Tampa Bay area, and I was at the Tampa Tribune at the time, all finished in a tie. And so they had that, they had some kind of a tiebreaker thing and they got together and they decided they were going to break all these ties at Tampa Stadium. Instead of playing them on these high school home fields, they said, Hey, we're all going to have in Tampa Stadium. They charge, you know, they charge whatever, two bucks to get in or something. And they decided these six district titles. In overtime, trotting all these teams out one by one, so in essence, your season was extended like a full week, and a couple games ended in two plays. Hmm. So these guys bust in from say Plant City. One team fumbled, and then the next team ran it in on the second play of the game. So their season lasted an extra week, and yet it was playoffs were was three plays long. So, uh, I, I, it's, it's a little weird example, but at the same time, it was a great, fantastic night of high school football with a lot of excitement. It didn't last long for a lot of teams, but, uh, that's the kind of, that's, it, it was in essence an overtime. Get it? Get it? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like a, a very, very unique circumstance. Obviously, not anything like what we saw, um, the other night. I mean, I actually, went to bed after the guy threw the incomplete pass and didn't know that the knee hit the ground, literally turned the game up, well, that's it. And obviously I was shocked to find out what happened the next day.
3: Well, I think in terms of just something that always sticks out to me, it was a Sunday night NHL game. The Lightning were on the road up in Carolina. And I was there for some reason on a Sunday night covering this game. And there was a lot of action. There was a lot of shots, but there were no goals. And we ended up 0-0 tie. And I had no idea what I wrote about, but I was like, that was one of those events that I just never forgot that, you know, because I had to actually make a zero to zero tie on a Sunday night in Raleigh, North Carolina, entertaining. And that's, <laughs> hard, that's hard to do. And you failed. And I probably, I'm sure I failed miserably. I, I'll have to go back and find my story. I'm sure I failed miserably. <laughs>
1: I'll give you guys Florida-Nebraska softball at the College World Series. I think Chris was there, too. Were you there for that? I, I was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Florida-Nebraska softball in the 2013 World Series uh, 15 innings over, I think, multiple days. I can't remember. It, it was a long, long game. Uh, and you just wanted to go to the bathroom at some point. So, well, hopefully this weekend features some enjoyable sporting events, especially football. Some big football games are going to determine the college football playoff. It'll have a say in where the Gators go as well. And also, Chris will be on top of basketball. And we'll talk about that with him next week. Gentlemen, thank you so much as always. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Turn your attention to Florida basketball as they take on West Virginia and Michigan State, then come back here next week and we'll break it down and discuss the Gators' bowl matchup. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at MSG.